Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who was accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a myriad of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we continued our review of the direct examination of sled agent Melinda Worley by the state. In this installment, we continue our look at Agent Worley's testimony. That's all coming up right after the break. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It is late afternoon on January 27th, 2023, the third day of the Alex Murdoch murder trial. South Carolina Assistant Attorney General Savannah Goud continues her questioning of Agent Melinda Worley, a senior criminalist in the latent print unit of the SLED Forensic Services Lab who is qualified as an expert in footwear and tire impressions. In our previous episode, Agent Worley described the collection of evidence from the bodies of Paul and Maggie Murdoch, including the retrieval of evidence collected at the victim's autopsies. On today's episode, we follow Prosecutor Goud's direct examination to its conclusion. Goud transitions from the collection of autopsy evidence to a search of the Murdoch's residence at Moselle Road in Islington, South Carolina, many weeks after the murders. Let's move ahead to the search of Moselle. Was that property um, eventually searched by yourself and other agents? It was. And when did that occur? September 13th, 2021. And that was several months after the murders took place in June? That's right. And what parts of the area or the residence were searched? Uh, we searched the, the entire residence. The main focus was the gun, gun room on the first floor. So could you kind of, I guess, describe the, the property and the area that was searched? There's uh, the main residence, and then also uh, there was a cabin uh, closer to the kennels that faced Moselle Road, um, and then also the workshop that was located near, near the kennels. And is the residence uh, a fairly large residence? It is. And you searched um, the entire residence? Yes. And you mentioned the focus was on a gun ring? Yes. Where was that located in the residence? It's on the first floor. Did you find any items of interest in the gun room when you searched it? Uh, we, we did collect several items from the gun room. Was the um, workshop area of the residence searched out near the kennels? Yes, near the kennels, yes. Prosecutor Goud shows the witness a series of photographs. Could you tell me if those are pictures taken during our search that day? Yes. Are those true and accurate depictions of the search of the residents of Moselle in the workshop area? Yes, they are. Prosecutor Goud asks Judge Clifton Newman to enter these items into evidence, which he does without objection. Agent Worley, is this Exhibit 116 picture of the gun ring there? Yes, it is. 
And State's Exhibit 117. Yes. It appears to have a pool table and a little workout bike in there. That's right. And do you recall whether this door in the picture exits to the outside of the house? Yes, it does. State's 118. Is that the um, gun rack in that room? Yes, it is. Now, when y'all did the search in September, were any of those guns collected that day? No. So these are additional guns to the guns that had already been collected by sledding. That's right. Um, was there a lot of ammunition in that room? There was. States 119. Is that a box of ammunition? Yes, it is. Mixed ammunition? Right. In fact, was there this whole bookcase we're looking at over here, was that just full of ammunition? Yes. An ammunition bookcase? Yes. States Exhibit 120. That was also on that bookshelf. States Exhibit 121. Yes. That is um, 300 blackout ammunition from this box. That's right. In the bookcase. Yes. Was some of this ammunition collected? It was. And you said you also searched the um, work shed or hangar out near the kennels? Yes. States Exhibit 122. Is that ammunition that was found in the workshop? Yes, it was in that uh, red bin on the workbench. And we see ammunition in a little wire tub and then in this tray. Yes. Specifically in um, Exhibit 123, what types of ammunition was some of the ammunition that was located? Uh, it was one unfired cartridge head stamped Barnes 300 BLK. It's the one on the left. And then the four unfired shot shells uh, head stamped 12 gauge Federal. And item 124. And those were the boxes of 300 blackout ammunition photograph. And you collected some of those for evidence purposes? Not at this one. But some of the ammunition that y'all found was collected for evidence purposes, is that correct? Yes. You could take a look at these items and tell us whether these were collected by you that day. This was some of that am ammunition we were just speaking about. Yes, these were all collected uh, the day we did that search. Prosecutor Goud asks Agent Worley to itemize where each of the cartridge boxes and magazines was collected from, and the witness proceeds to take the jury through the list of the couple dozen items collected, most of which were collected from inside the house. As Agent Worley gets to the end of the list, Goud asks her about ammunition collected from a pickup truck that was in the driveway of the Murdoch Lodge on the day of the search. State's Exhibit 127 is from the black Ford F-150 under the driver's seat from a search on let Agent Worley testify was, here. <laughs> that same that same search um, that day. That would be not car, not Alex's car. I don't quite, Your Honor, I object on this basis of relevance. I don't know why a bullet from nobody's car that's involved in this would be relevant. A minute over objection. Thank you. Okay, what other exhibits do we have here? These are uh, magazines containing ammunition. One of them contains 300 blackout ammunition collected from the shelf in the gun room. And then the other one is a magazine co containing cartridges, 300 blackout cartridges collected from the black Ford F-150. This item's collected from the black F-150. That truck was searched that day too? There, it was, yes. And where was that truck at? If I remember correctly, it was in front of the residence. It was a truck that was on the property? Yes, it was on the property. Um, was it on the property the night of the murders? It might have been the one that was parked 
away from the workshop. Do you know why that truck was searched that day? It was on the property, and the search warrant included uh, vehicles. And those items were found inside that vehicle? Yes, one of these was. What is the other one? That's from the uh, shelf in the gun room. So we move states 152 into evidence. And then we had um, states 258. What was that? Cartridge collected from the workshop bench, head stamped, uh, Barnes 300 BLK. Did you collect any other um, items that day when um, the property was searched? I don't believe so. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. After Prosecutor Goud finishes asking Agent Worley about the guns and ammunition collected during a search of the Murdoch property several months after the murders, she moves on to ask about other photographs taken at the property in the immediate aftermath of the murders. And also, going back to the scene, you mentioned a projectile that was found near a tire impression. Yes, we were setting up to take examination quality photographs of the tire impressions at marker 8. Uh, we located another fired projectile that was lying on the ground. I'm going to show you states exhibit 250. We'll take a look at that. Um, could you tell us what that is? And this is that projectile near the tire impression. Your Honor, the state removes states exhibit 250 into evidence. Not objection. Agent Whirling, how do you take a look at mark this in the state's exhibit? Do you recall collecting the gun from Officer Green? Yes. When you collected that gun, did you swab it? I did. I'm going to hand you state's exhibit 259. If you could tell us what that exhibit is. I took two swabs of suspected blood from the side of the shotgun and two swabs from the uh, muzzle end of the barrel of the shotgun. Um, that was as a precaution when I was unloading the weapon, the 16-gauge shot shell got lodged in the, the barrel and before I placed one of my own dowel rods down the barrel to push it back out, I swabbed the muzzle of the barrel just in case. You swabbed it just in case what? I didn't want to contaminate any, if there was potential evidence at, in the barrel or in the muzzle end of the barrel uh, before I placed my dowel rod in that end of the barrel. And the other swab, did it appear there was visible blood on that gun? Yes. Suspected blood, yes. And what did you do with those swabs once they were collected? I packaged them in their envelopes, sealed them, and transported them to the lab. Prosecutor Goud asks Judge Newman to enter these items into evidence for identification purposes, which he does without objection. Marley, one more thing. State Exhibit 261 for identification purposes only. Can you tell us that these are items that you received into your custody? Yes, they are. Okay, and how do you know that? my handwriting on the this outer packaging. So there are quite a lot of items in there that you received from, is it Agent Croft or Agent McAllister? These, I believe, were ones I took custody of from Lieutenant Todd Shank. Okay. Those are items that you took custody of. That's right. 
I, I logged them in to the lab. Um, I didn't collect them myself. I got them via chain of custody, and then I logged them into the lab. And that's state's exhibit 261 for identification purposes only. Smart identification. With that, Prosecutor Goud tells Judge Newman that she has come to the end of her direct examination of the witness. When the judge invites the defense to begin their cross-examination, Dick Harpulian requests that because it is so close to the end of the day and the week, for continuity purposes, it might be preferable to postpone their cross until the beginning of the following week. Judge Newman grants Harpulian's request, and so we move to the morning of Monday, January 30th, day four of trial testimony. Agent Worley again takes the stand, and Dick Harpudlian begins his questioning. Good morning. I'm calling you Ms. Worley. Do you have a rank? I'm a senior criminalist. But not lieutenant or captain or yes. a senior? Criminalist. And what is a criminal? I'm in the lab, basically. The forensic lab. But you went out to this crime scene? I did, yes. Do you normally go out to crime scenes? I, at that time, yes. I was a special agent. Where what? I was a special agent at the time that I worked this. What's so special about the special agent? Uh, that's what sled agents are referred to as. Talk a little bit about what you did on this case. I'm going to try not to repeat a lot of the testimony from our scintillating Friday afternoon together. When did you first go to the scene? As soon as I got the phone call at 10.33 p.m., I got on the road from my house within 30 minutes and arrived on scene at 12.07 a.m. 12.07 a.m.? Yes, sir. Now, when you got there, the Carlton County Sheriff's Department, were they supposed to process the scene? No. That what they were supposed to do? Secure it. Secure it so nobody could walk over things and nobody could in any way disturb trace evidence, forensic evidence. Isn't that correct? Yes. Now, when you got there, did you determine they had done more than just secure the scene? They had marked some evidence that they had found before we got there. And you also found, for instance, that we've shown you videos that they actually, some of them, or at least one of them, if not two of them, walked into the feed room where Paul was killed, correct? Someone had walked in there to walk uh, to place marker one. And matter of fact, when you did your footwear impression examination, you found that there was a bloody footprint caused by one of the officers, isn't that right? After we had started processing the scene, yes. Yes, but I mean, one of the bloody footprints in that feed room was not Paul, not the perpetrator, it was a police officer. Yes probably a Carlton County police officer. I don't know that for sure. Who else could it be? It could have been one of us from Sled. One of yours? I don't think it was mine, but it could have been from Sled. I don't know. It could have been Sled. could have been Carlton County. could have been the coroner. Yeah, sure. And in your business, there are rules about who should be walking through crime scenes, right? Preferably as few people as possible. If you don't need to be in there, then you shouldn't be in there. And when they, like, went around and pulled the sheet up, um, they were walking in an area where most likely the perpetrator had walked, correct? Possibly, yes. I mean, that's right outside the feed room. Right. And those shell casings, some of them were near, some of them were further away from Maggie's body. Walking in the dark like, increases the probability that some trace evidence has been disturbed or destroyed. That's probably why they went ahead and marked evidence before we got there, because they found it and went ahead and marked it so that it wouldn't be disturbed. But couldn't they just stood back and said, there's shell casings in there. So when you got there, you would have been, maybe you would have even waited till the next morning when you had some light, right? No, we would have started like we did as soon as we got on scene. Okay. You did some measurements. Yes. And those measurements are uh, recorded on a sketch you did. Yes. Not to scale. Right. So can you tell me what that is, please? This is my final crime scene diagram. Okay. And you did it. I did. You can identify it. Yes. 
Your Honor, we would offer this document into evidence, please. Submitted without objection. Okay, so, and you can see that on your screen? Yes, sir. And that is what I just showed you, right? Yes, sir. And what's important to know at the outset is this is not to scale, correct? We never do our diagrams to scale, no. But it does tell us some things. Yes. You found a projectile that went through the doghouse? That's right. And you found a projectile that went through the small animal cage? We didn't locate that, that projectile, but one but, did go but through. But you had an entrance and exit wound. Yes. Yes, that's right. Now, these yellow items over here near Maggie's body, those represent blackout ejected shells? Yes, those are the evidence markers marking 300 blackout. Okay, and did you take measurements of where those were compared to anything else? For instance, we see a 23.9 between this post and that post. Did you do anything like that for the projectile? We didn't measure the, the projectile that was in the dog bed. No, no, I'm talking about these yellow. Yes. Okay, did you measure where they were? Yes, we did. And there are measurements somewhere? Uh, I believe on the second page. Of my, my, the second page of my diagram should be the measurements. When it says you've measured them RP1, RP2, what does that mean? Uh, that's reference point. This corner of the feed room was reference point one. This column was reference point two. And this column was reference point three. Okay. Can you find uh, page two for me, please? Is that what we were just looking at? Yes. And are these your calculations? They are. And this is what you recorded? Yes. Your Honor, I'd like to offer this into evidence. I think it's defense five. Submit. Okay, so you located these shell casings, right? Right. You did measurements of how far the small animal cage was from a reference point? Yes. Uh, what was the reference point for the doghouse? Not sure that I measured the doghouse to, to a reference point. You did not measure the doghouse? I don't think so. If you put KNW 1644 up, please. Can you tell me what this is a photo of? The doghouse. Well... And I what? But did, did you make this, or was this done under your supervision? Yes. Yeah, Your Honor, we'd offer this in evidence. Submit it. So to give the jury some sense of, and you're I'm not saying your sketch is bad; it's not the scale, though. And to give them some idea of the layout, this is the doghouse. Yes, that's right. This is the what you call the small animal cage right here. Right. That's off the ground. It has legs. Yes. Legs, right. The doghouse has got like a couple of two-by-fours under it, so it's not laying directly on the ground, correct? I th yeah, I think that's right. And then if we look over to the right, that would be the door to the feed room where Paul was shot and killed. That's right. Right? Yes. So we're all singing from the same sheet of music here. There's the quail, and then there's the doghouse, and then there's the door to the feed room. If you're standing at the quail pen right over here, and you're looking at a 90-degree angle that is out in front of you, is that... Am I right on that? Okay. Are you looking at the door to the feed room, or is it to the right or to the left? Well, let me ask you this. Did you take any measurements? Uh, not directly from the cage to the door, no. Can you tell me whether, what, is it a 10 degree this way, 10 degree that way? I mean, I mean I'd have to look at the photographs. If, if any of the photographs show from the door to that animal cage or the animal cage to the door, and see if it was at an angle or not, but... but you didn't take any measurements when you were on. When, when were you on the scene doing these measurements? My initial measurements were the night of the incident, and then uh, that picture was taken July 16th when we went back to take additional measurements. And it was after July 16th you generated uh, the sketch we saw a moment ago. Um, no, I think I did this before we went back to the scene on the 16th. So nothing changed in your sketch. No. And 
to your knowledge, you never took any sort of directional examination of the reference points, for instance, the dog pen um, and the door to the feed room, or from the quail cage to the door of the feed room, correct? That's right. And with that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join our next installment as we continue our review of SLED agent Melinda Worley's testimony. Also, check out the new crime story podcast, Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie and Tholis. It was co-produced and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.